0: Friends, our second lesson today is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 22, verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth, and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor? Or not. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him. And went away. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm sure we have all fallen for a trick question at some point in our lives or, or a riddle or something like that. I remember there was one, a real old one, old one, old one. And then I uh, remember the old show uh, All in the Family from the, the 70s, and, uh, and finally they told this joke um, on the show and, and everyone knew it. I mean, I'd heard it before then, it was around, but you, you probably know this. If I start off and say, you know, there's a father and a son who are hurt really badly in a car accident, okay? And they take them to the hospital and they're both wheeled into surgery and the son is in the operating room and the doctor comes in and the surgeon comes in and says, I can't operate, this is my son. And the point of that was that the answer, of course, was that the, the surgeon was the boy's mother. And 40 years ago, people were, like, perplexed. It didn't occur to them. They'd be like, oh, is it maybe the boy's stepfather or something? How is it that the father was injured, unable, and, and the doctor was there? And the idea behind the, this question, this riddle, was that it stretched your frame of reference. It exposed something in your thinking that had been fixed, and you had presumed certain things. And, and then the answer is like, whoa, I didn't see it from that perspective. We have a trick question in our passage today, but it's kind of interesting because it's a trick question that's followed by a trick answer. The Pharisees and the Herodians go up to Jesus. Now, they don't normally have anything in common other than the fact that they both don't like Jesus. So the Pharisees and the Herodians going to Jesus with a question is kind of like A Republican and a Democrat going after a third party candidate. They don't agree on anything. All they know is they don't want a third party. Okay, all right, so they would go in and find some question where their hope is that they can get the person to give an answer that would, um, that would alienate one side or the other. The problem is that when they come into it, they come into it with this very narrow frame of mind, a very narrow point of view, and so they think they have Jesus trapped. They think they have him trapped with this question. So, Jesus, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? See, they, they, as far as they're concerned, there's only two positions here. And by the way, the two groups have each of these positions. One of them is, yes, you should give your money to the emperor. This is the law. These are taxes. You have to pay them. And the other is, the Romans are terrible people. They are oppressing us. They're making it very hard for us. And so they, they, are, they are awful, and you should not be giving them your money if you can avoid it. And so they ask him this, this question because they presume that Jesus has to give one answer or the other, yes or no, and the one answer will get him hated by the Jewish people for endorsing the support of Rome, and the other answer will get him arrested by the Romans for inciting you know, rebellion, sedition against them. So they think that they have got him trapped. But instead, Jesus responds with the request to bring him a coin. And so, I don't know why we still do this to this day, by the way. I don't know why we still walk around with coins with people's heads on them. All right? But this is an ancient practice. It continues to this day. Uh, I I've never, it has never made particular sense to me. I always thought actually to just state the amount of the money on the front, you know,- 25, 10, five, one.. <laughs> okay. But they, they put people's heads on them, and he says, "Well, whose head is this and whose title?" And, you know, this is a very well-known passage, and they say, well, this is, this is Caesar, and he is the Caesar. Caesar is a title, by the way. It's not a name. You know, you had the names like Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar. Caesar is just a name. We get modern words like czar from that, or derived from that. So it's, it's his title. And he says, well, okay. So this coin has Caesar's head on it. So give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's. Give to God the things that are God's. It's actually a trick answer. But they don't even realize it. See, all they can see is that they've been outsmarted. They're, you know, like Roadrunner and the coyote, foiled again. We've tried, we thought we had them trapped, but we are foiled. And so it says that the Pharisees and the Herodians just went away. They just went away. That's not how we should respond to this story. See, if all we do is just hear this and go, good answer, Jesus, good answer, clever, you escaped their trap, we miss a very important point to this, which is we need to actually think about the question, what belongs to God and what belongs to Caesar? This is actually a harder question In real life, then I think it can be sometimes to theologians, for example. See, there's a very easy theological answer. They go, oh, well, Jesus is really saying it all belongs to God. God created everything. It all belongs to God. So everything should be given to God. Great answer. Works really well in seminary on an exam works less well in real life for trying to figure out how it is you're actually going to live. See, it's not that black and white. See, And one of the problems with theological answers is sometimes they're so pure that they're impractical. Because it holds up a level of perfection that we don't achieve. We live in a gray area. We do our best. We try to get better. But the theological answer to simply say it all belongs to God and so it's all God's, it's like, well then what am I supposed to do tomorrow? What am I supposed to do tomorrow when I enter a pretty imperfect world with an imperfect self and a mix of priorities? What do I do? So the theological answer is often so pure that it's impractical. But then if we just say, okay, that pure theology doesn't work in the world, and this happens a lot, we hear it a lot in churches, that pure theological stuff doesn't work in the world, let's be practical. Then you have the danger on the other side. The practical answer often leads us away from what God desires for us. When we devote ourselves to practicality, we cave completely into secular values. We begin to run everything as if it's on a balance sheet profit and loss statements. Are we making money? Or are we losing money? We run everything by those values, and then we can lose sight of what it is that God wants for our lives. So we have to deal with this balance, this tension between. The worlds we inhabit. The part of our lives that that we really do try to devote to God. And the part where we really are living according to the dictates of Caesar, you know, the secular world. We balance those in our lives. But what we tend to do, which is really dangerous, is we have this unfortunate tendency to try and justify ourselves by calling, calling whatever it is we want to do, Christian. That's how we resolve the tension. We don't want to really wrestle with the fact that we have these priorities, we have these pulls on us that are not really godly in nature. And we have the other pull, to be a devoted disciple. And when we try to balance them, the easiest way for us to do it is to just say, we accomplished the task by redefining things the way we would like to, to believe we have succeeded. So, what we end up doing is we end up conflating Christian principles and secular priorities. We conflate them in order to be able to justify ourselves. Early in the, in the history of the church, there was a very serious conflation that happened. And it had to do around pacifism. The early church was purely pacifistic. Okay? Clearly the earliest disciples believed 100% that it was wrong to take up arms. Historically, there's no question about this. They believed this. Which was fine when they had no power anyway. When they weren't allowed to be in the Roman government. that they, you know, they, they would be you know, forbidden from taking positions of authority. It was easy to hold that theological view. And then along comes Constantine. Legitimizes Christian faith. Christians can now become officials in the government. Guess what? If you're in a government, pacifism is like an impossible position to hold. Because a nation that says, by the way, we're not going to go to war even if you invade us kind is setting the recipe for not actually having a country anymore. Right? So what happens is that practicality hits their theology. What are we going to do? The church resolved it by coming up with something they called just war theology. And you can get into long arguments about the legitimacy of this attempt to conflate the practicalities of operating in the secular world and what they also believed was a theological imperative from Christ. And the church has lived with that balance ever since. And we argue continually about whether we've drawn those lines in the right places and whether we're abiding by it. But no matter where you put it, everybody comes back and says, oh yeah, but we're just, we're just doing what Jesus would have wanted. Because it's easier for us to believe that about ourselves than to confront the problems that are inherent in dealing with working out that tension. See, what we would rather do is remake God in our image. We would rather say that God wants everything we want. There's a great quote from Anne Lamott. I'm sure I've used it before. She's a great author, but I I love this quote of hers. She said, You can be certain that you have remade God in your image when you believe that God hates all the same people you do. (laughs) See, because it's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to take our prejudices, our inclinations, and, and go hunting through the scriptures to find the verse that will back it up. And it's there. If I don't feel like being particularly generous, I can hunt through the scriptures and I'll find the character who does something that isn't very generous and I'll say, see, look at this, justifies it. Pretty much whatever I want to do, I can go through the scriptures because there's a lot of stories and I'll find something to justify what I would like to justify instead of wrestling with what it means to move through life, trying to hold these things in tension, hold these things in a balance that God would like to see. See, God's instructions to us, one of the things I, I mention a lot, is to remember that God's instructions to us often include balance. Six days you shall labor, seventh day, Sabbath. So remember, the instruction is not seven days of work, and it's not seven days of Sabbath. It is six and one. There's a balance. In generosity, tithing is a standard. 90%, you get to do what you want. 10% goes to God. Right? It's not 100%, and it's not zero. Either way, it's a balance. And we have to go through and honestly inventory our lives to ask ourselves how much of our lives really does belong to Caesar? And how much are we living with it belonging to God? And is this an appropriate mix? And then, as we examine that, ask hard questions about how you live, what what the role is. All right? and, and be honest. It's tough. I mean, those of you, you know, who are going to work tomorrow, it's hard. But the rationalization is easy. In fact, you want to know who probably has a job where it's really easy to rationalize that what you're doing is good? Me. <laughs> okay? More than anything, me. See, it's easier. See, if you're going to work tomorrow as a, I don't know, a copier salesman, you can kind of under see the distinction. But if you think... If you think pastors aren't prone to the same kind of conflation, to sit there and say, oh yes, my ego-driven maneuver here is is for the glory of God. I'm doing this for the glory of God, even though it actually gets me more power. Real easy. it's, it's, It's a battle that clergy face all the time because it is so easy for us to say that what we're doing is for the glory of God when really it's for the glory of us or me. It's something you have to watch out for. It's something that each of you has to watch out for in what you do. Each of us has this ability to rationalize what we're doing that isn't really godly but call it godly. It's a tough task to examine ourselves and say, where is my motivation truly? Am I really dealing with this part of my life according to God or not? And then when we do that, we can start to do what Jesus said. To give to God what is God's. And then we can start to make progress. When we understand how our lives are ordered, we can start to say, okay, now I'm going to take one thing in my life and I'm going to move it. I'm going to move the control from Caesar to God. And we do that over and over and over And eventually we start to live a life that is more closely conforming to what God desires. So that's my challenge to you this week. To think about how it is you actually do have your life ordered between these priorities of God and the the, the demands of the secular world. To be brutally honest with yourself. And then take one thing and be determined To move it from the one column to the other. And then repeat the process. And at the end of the day, we'll finally have a life that really is reflecting the balance God intends for us. Amen.